This podcast was recorded live in London at the ICAD conference. I'm Aaron Huey. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. The first uh, connection to nude women that I ever had was a Hawaiian topless calendar that was, uh, uh, that I found in my dad's sock drawer. I was about 14. Come to find out in my later years, my parents put it there. They knew it was kind of the planned process of introduction. Um, the first thing my son saw at 12 years old when I went online, looked at his history, horrified me. It's completely different. The level of access, the, the anarchy yeah. of, of what a child can see on the internet. Um, your specialty is understanding and treating sex and pornography addiction. That's the title of one of your three books. Uh, Paula, thank you for being on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank I you. know I have a lot of moms who need to hear <laughs> yeah. what you have to say about this. Yeah. Um, teen boys, I, I don't know about teen girls. I, I had a daughter grow up, but I don't know her connection to that as well as I understood my sons. Um, so I just want to start with boys for okay. a second. How do you know when your child is just looking and it's normal and suddenly it's crossed a threshold. And when I say child, at what point are parents, should parents say this is normal and healthy? Okay, that is one heck of a huge I question. Know. I know, <laughs> but I know it's the burning one for I parents. Think, I think the thing is, first and foremost, do what you can to protect your kids from finding porn when they don't want to. And I think that's critical. If they want to find it, they will find it. So it doesn't matter how many porn blockers you may put on your on each different device, on your router, on the house, on the country, on whatever. They will find it if that is what they are looking for. If you want to know how to get around a porn blocker, ask a 12-year-old boy. You'll probably find a video he's done on YouTube. So if they're looking for it, they'll find it. Um, but do for them stumbling upon it accidentally that's something else so do put porn blockers on anyway it is important to have that and I think in the same way as we keep alcohol out of the risk of children we don't smoke in front of kids you know so on and so forth we need to have those same common sense principles when it comes to pornography as well but be aware that they will find it and I guess one of the real problems we have is parents naivety to be honest it's thinking well you know I don't think they're mature enough for that I don't think he's not interested in girls this is different this is pictures of this isn't actually real life So assume when they start getting into adolescence, they are going to start searching for that stuff. And it's probably going to be younger than you think. Does that mean 12? Does that mean nine? Does that, what does that mean for you? It's kind of, it's, it's when the brain starts going into um, adolescence as opposed to the body going into puberty, which is, is, is quite a different thing. So probably from the age of nine, 10, 11, certainly 11 by sure, they're they're, going to have some interest. And of course they're going to have friends that are showing it to them. Um, and I guess 
Yeah, unfortunately, exactly as you say, I mean, what used to be kind of soft core pornography now is just, it's the kind of stuff we watch on television in the evening. You know, what's, what you find on the internet is, is what we would have called hardcore porn in our day. That, that is the mainstream. And I think it's important that parents don't, um, don't become too terrified of this stuff because, frankly, for a heck of a lot of 10, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds even, when they see that stuff, their first response is, ugh, gross, that's vile. And I think we have a fear that they're actually kind of getting off on it, whereas actually for an awful lot of young lads and girls, sharing this in the school playground is a bit like showing them your, your cut or showing them, you know, I don't know, a wart or, or something like that. It's all a bit kind of gross and, ugh, look what grown-ups do. Isn't this vile? This is horrible. So they're not necessarily getting off on it. I think the key thing is education here though. So I guess what I'm saying is make sure your kids do whatever you can to protect them from accidentally viewing it. Know that if they're searching for it, they will find it and it may be hardcore. Talk to your kids about it, ideally before that happens. Is there a particular place that you know that kids can stumble upon it accidentally? You know, because we talk about- The internet. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean, there, if, if there's protective things on, in place, like is there a, a particular, is YouTube responsible for that? Is Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, like? like yes. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now I get what you're saying. All the of the internet. above. Yes. The internet. Okay. And the thing is you can Google something really quite innocent and be, and this is going back some years now because most of what I Google these days I know isn't innocent. Um, but there used to be a band in the UK called Boys to Men. And oh, sure. I, and I, was, I wanted to know the lyrics to the song, so I just Googled Boys to Men. And I found a heck of a lot of pretty hardcore gay porn. And I was like, oh, okay. That, I wasn't expecting that. That's not what I was that. looking for. No, absolutely. I do remember just a few years ago, um, when I was helping a parent, I was I was on the phone with the parent, and they said, "How am I going to get my kid to your facility?" And I said, "Well, we want to look for a, a facility that escorts a child to a. <laughs> oh. you know, we want to look for a company that escorts, escorts a child." And the parent put in a, a, a teen escort service. Oh. And she goes, "That's not what I'm looking for." <laughs> and I said, uh, "Don't put an escort. Put in transport." And she's like, "Right." Uh, yeah, yeah. You're, so that's what you mean by the innocent. Absolutely, right. absolutely. So I mean, you, you, yeah. Unfortunately, you you can accidentally stumble across it, no matter yeah what you do. And uh, and if you're bilingual by any chance, oh, so any Lord. parents that are bilingual, most porn protection or the, based on the search terms yeah. in the English language. So if they know some slang, if they, if you wonder why your child knows what breasts are in five foreign languages, it's because they know how to get around they your porn blockers. Okay. okay. So you, this has got to be about education. This has got to be from a young age. How young? Oh, gosh. I don't think there's too young. So again, I think that, you know, looking at you, I'm judging that we're about the same generation where, I hope I'm not insulting you, generation we're generation X. Yeah. So, um, we didn't use to, certainly in my day, we didn't talk particularly about stranger danger. 
we didn't talk about the risks of being picked up by a stranger, potentially being sexually abused, about your privates being private, so on and so forth. Different generations, certainly when I was bringing up my kids, that was an automatic part. From the age of three, four, five, I was, you know, they're in the bath and I was saying, you know, these are your privates, these are yours, it's for you to touch and nobody else touches it and you do when you're in the bath and you want just make those conversations natural and I think a lot of parents do that quite instinctively now um, teaching a child about their body teaching a child to have body confidence and to protect it and to and that it's just for them one of the things about about teaching about the conversation these are your privates they're for yeah. you to touch no one else um, I heard a parent also say doctors can touch it, but they will ask first. That's a very, very good point. Okay, yeah, yeah, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but they never said parents too. Yeah, they're saying dot. You're they're for you and they're for doctors, but doctors will ask. Yeah, let's jump forward a little bit into now. We find out that our our teen daughter has been sexting. Okay, right. I work a lot with police officers, especially Sergeant uh, Mike Harris. Uh, back in the, in the United States who helps educate children and parents about pedophiles and cell phones yeah, and things yeah. like that. But the long-term dangers of a, a girl sending nudes of herself to her boyfriend. Can you talk about that for a second? And is that part of the addiction and the pornography danger that we're talking about for girls? No, not, okay. not necessarily, not necessarily. A lot of girls are going to look at internet porn as well. I think the thing is, in old, you know, the old, you know, I'll show you mine if you show me yours, okay. has been happening between kids for millennia. Right. This is normal development. Yes. The problem is now, I'll show you mine and then you can show it to everybody on the internet is what's changed. And again, this is what, for, for parents, goes back to those early conversations. That when we're talking about showing to other people, we've got to include the internet. That We've got to include the fact that if somebody takes a photo on the cell phone, it's going to go everywhere. And you can have that conversation with your child when they're taking a picture of each other or you are of them on your phone. You're going to be taking photos of your kids on the phone. You need to say, oh, I can send this photo anywhere now. So, you know, that's you, a great way to do you it. You need that's to a, rem remember this, yeah. that actually, you know, if you send me something, and, and so, do you want me to share this with other people? Can I send this to Danny? Can I send this to Auntie so-and-so? You know, it's really important to ask permission, but some people would send this anyway. You've got, um, you've got to be savvy yourself and understand the technology yourself and just get into normal conversation the fact that there is sexuality is there on the internet and it, it and it is it is potentially a risk so a girl sending a picture to her boyfriend we're still saying is you show me yours i'll show you mine it's normal development what's not normal is the Good. fact that he can now send it to anywhere post it on the internet when he does and i'm gonna say when not if i'm gonna say when for parents listening when he does is that normal development for a boy? Oh gosh, um, no, I don't think it is because I think um, I mean if he's been sent that picture, into the context of him being sent that picture in the first place, and I guess the conversation's got to be about why the girl sent the picture. I mean if he is a boyfriend, if he is genuinely a boyfriend, sure, sure, sure. then that should be a personal, private exchange, exactly the same as it would. If it had been, uh, you know, person to person, if it had been in real time. And he turns and shares it. And now as a parent, if you know that your son has done that, has been involved, 
or maybe it's not even his girlfriend, but he's been shared a picture from a boy and he's in turn pass it on, we got an issue. You've got an issue, you've got an issue potentially if the, that girl is under 18 of sharing child pornography, of course. So, I mean, there's there's a whole legal issue. And this is something that so many young people are not aware of. Oh, I, I work with kids who are dealing with that yeah, consistently. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the other thing that parents have got a responsibility for is, you know, if you do ch share pictures on the internet, you do know that if you're under 18 or they're under 18, you're actually exchanging child sex images and that is illegal and you could end up on the sex offender register i know in america it depends very much what state you're in so it's all very complicated but yeah it, it doesn't need to be it needs to be very simplified so that everybody can get on board now the question then comes i like to tell parents if the, you know how do i know if it's a problem yeah. if there's lying cheating sneaking stealing or breaking the law it's a problem now you made a face there and i want you to talk okay. about that because we're we're in it with sex, it's like food. Adolescents lie to their parents, Constantly. particularly around sex, because it's embarrassing. Right. Most parents do not talk to their children about their sex life. For good reason, it's called a boundary. Most kids' sexual development is private and personal. They do not want to talk about it to their parents. And that's actually part of the very natural separation process of developing into adults. Sneaking is the same thing, because it they're, they're not going to look at porn in front of you. They're going to sneak that. Absolutely. It's part of developing kind of boundaries, which is natural and healthy development. So how do you know when it's a problem at home? Teach your child to recognize when it's a problem for them. So the good thing about food, you raise food, is actually they're going to notice they can't do the trousers up anymore, they're putting on weight, they're getting out of breath when they're doing sport at school. You don't notice that with what's happening with sex, what's happening with pornography use. So have the conversation. You know, I, I guess you are looking at porn, you know, I guess it's happening, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what a lot of kids do. How do you know when it's a problem? Ask the child to think about that. You know it's a problem when it's getting in the way of other things, when you feel shame about it, when you wouldn't talk to a friend. If you wouldn't talk to mum and dad about it, that's probably natural. If you wouldn't share what you're doing with a close friend, then that is more likely to be oh. an issue. Okay? So who are you... There's a difference between privacy and secrecy. Yeah? How secretive are you being about this? How much shame do you feel about this? Yeah? Um, talk to them about, is it getting in the way? Are you choosing to spend time in your room looking at stuff when actually... You should be getting on with your homework, but then let's face it, That's kids will do anything to get on with their homework. <laughs> but actually, you should be going out with your friends, you should be chatting to your friends, you should be updating your Facebook page, whatever we think about that. But actually, is it getting in the way of other things that are important to you? And do you feel shame about what you're doing and you wouldn't actually tell your friends about it? How do parents notice? Right, because the kid's not going to say anything. They're going to hide it. They're going to sneak it. They're going to steal past the the blockers you've put on. What are the signs that a parent is looking for that if the kid's not going to say, if the kid's not going to engage in that conversation, yeah. this is stupid. I don't want to talk about this. Withdrawing from friends, so they're not going out as much anymore, spending more and more time in their room, not going out with friends, not spending time with you, beginning to fail at school, not being curious about this relationships. This sounds like drugs. Uh, well, yeah, it, it sounds like addiction. Yeah, that's it. Addiction is addiction that's is it. addiction, ultimately. So rather than actually engaging in real life, 
they are getting absorbed and dragged in by this compulsive behavior. And at the end of the day, whether that's chemical or whether that's behavioral, if it's compulsive and getting in the way of real life and causing harmful consequences and they still can't stop, that's when it's a problem. Does porn addiction and sex addiction, is there a correlation between not understanding the idea, the fact that these people are actors doing something for a multi-billion dollar industry for the, the pleasure of an individual in the privacy of their home or individuals versus this is what sex is like. Because that, that was the most powerful conversation I had with my kid is saying that's porn, that's not sex. Sex is icky and awesome and uncomfortable and amazing and weird and sometimes doesn't work the way you thought it was and sometimes you can't describe the emotional experience. That's porn. You have complete control over that. You get to decide who, when, what, and how long. That's not real life. Yeah. And he got that. And that is what's critical, is that you did have that conversation. Oh, yeah. If the only sex education kids get is from porn, that's when you have a problem. If society does not take responsibility for educating young people about sex and sexuality and ideally I think that starts at the home but it needs to happen in schools as well. If we don't take responsibility for that then they will get their information from the internet and that's where the problems are. If they've got the education they know it's not real and, and frankly some parents sort of say well you know the porn's not real it's like hey really? You're going to tell me you know films on Hollywood aren't it's real next? What? Really? Right. For a four-year-old that's one thing to say that movie's not real they're actors let's watch them in a another movie and they're like well I thought they died no they, they yeah. were pretending yeah yeah and that some adolescents when they're told you know porn's not real they're like they look at you like yeah hey no you're not kidding one of really? the one but of the that's because they have had the education elsewhere well I, one of the things that we talk to the kids about in our facility is we say in the porn industry they're up to hepatitis G yeah and they're like I don't know what that is it's like that's right that's how real that thing is over yeah. there okay how does how does porn addiction progress? What, do, what does it go from, from I'm beyond interested, I'm isolating, I can't get enough to, of it, my, I think my son's masturbating 12 times a day. What's next? What starts to happen? Um, once you're on porn, that's where everything else is advertised. I mean, actually, the vast majority of pornography online is free now. Yeah. It has very, very little you've got to pay for. Um, but so, you know, the, the, the way that the industry is funded is generally through advertising, and right. that is advertising the sex worker sites, advertising webcams, advertising um, hookup sites, adult hookup sites. It's all the other and, and, and trying to get people into the illegal stuff as right. well, which you do pay for. So that is where they make their money. So often it starts uh, with pornography. I think of porn as being a bit of a gateway drug. Um, the same with any other kind of addiction, it's going to escalate. So you're going to need more, either spend more and more time or get more and more hardcore, more and more variety and novelty in order to get the same kind of hit. So it may morph into more extreme types of form, different types of paraphilic or fetish type behaviours. Um, then it might go into the webcam stuff, it goes offline. It's, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it can go into the dark web, which is Absolutely. a horrifying place. Yeah, 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 yeah. At any point, does it, does it move into the subjugation of a girlfriend? Uh, 
I mean, not necessarily. And I think this is one of the challenges that we have. Well, is that's, that that's the image, is that it's going to exactly, go from this to rape. Exactly. And there are a heck of a lot of people out there who recognise the difference between right and wrong, and they view porn. And, and okay, you know, everybody's got their own moral view on porn about whether it's okay or not, and so on and so forth. But just because someone's looking at porn doesn't mean that they're going to be an abuser. And Harvey Weinstein did not help us understand sex addiction because of you know him claiming the label, and perhaps he was, I don't know. And um, the example I often give is there are you know drink driving is illegal it's immoral it is potentially obviously highly damaging that but then most alcoholics do not drink and drive they know they are drunk and they do not get behind the wheel of a car there is a difference they know the difference between right and wrong even though they're an alcoholic in my experience the vast majority of sex addicts and porn addicts know the difference between right and wrong and they would not hurt another human being but they're is porn addiction, is it creating chemical changes in the brain like drug addiction, absolutely, like self-harm? Absolutely, We know that it changes dopamine pathways in the brain exactly the same way as chemical addictions. We've got all the research on that. But again, there are plenty of chemical addicts, alcohol addicts, who do not break the law. Right, of course. But it's a signpost to say if, if your child is looking at a lot of porn, there could be a dopamine issue. And if oh, we treat yeah, that... Yeah, but there is, I mean, this is the, the other complication. In adolescence, being a little bit sex mad is kind of pretty normal, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you, I mean, you, you made the, the, the comment earlier about, you know, if your adolescent's masturbating nine times a day. If he's masturbating nine times a day, and I'm going to be really frank here, yeah, so sorry, mums, be ready for this. <laughs> but if, if, you know, your kid is doing this because they want the sexual arousal, so they are achieving orgasm, that is the function of it. It may be normal. Now they do it with porn, they didn't used to. Yeah? But if the function of it is about sexual arousal, it may not be addiction. I would be more worried about, and it's a, it's a tricky conversation to have, but actually the question I ask my clients is, how long are you watching porn before you ejaculate, before you reach orgasm? And if they're looking at porn for an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, that's addiction. Because they're wow. not doing it for sexual arousal. They're doing it for escape. Good morning and almost good afternoon, everyone. Just a reminder about the next presentations that are starting at noon. In the York Suite, we have Mandy Salagari and Joe Bla- Zoe Blasky. I put down a marker on this, so Mark I'll be able to edit this out. And in the Westminster, we have Rupert Poitier and Annie Ashdown. Following that, we will be serving lunch. Have a great day, everyone. Okay. Are we, is there any part of this conversation that we're having that's approaching sexual deviance? Or is that a different topic? Well, like I said, there are, there are lots of alcoholics who would not get behind the wheel of a car. There are some sex addicts who are also predatory, deviant, attracted to children, so on and so forth. I think sex addiction affects um, a a wide cross-section of the population. So of course there are going to be some people where there is sexual deviance involved, but for the vast majority, 
they're not. Okay. And it's certainly not going to help your adolescent or your partner or yourself if you're listening if we continue to make those links between sexual addiction and sexual deviance. It's not the same and thing. Can someone who's been dealing, been dealing with uh, sexual uh, uh, addiction with treatment, with therapy, can they have a healthy sex life? Absolutely. Or, because like food, and we talk about this, food and, and uh, technology and, and sex all have this thing, this abstinence isn't necessarily... So what do we teach with food? People who are compulsive overeaters, right. yeah, and that in many ways is, is, is similar to sex addiction, what we teach people who are chronic overeaters is to, first and foremost, learn to recognise your appetite, yeah? Eat only when you're hungry and eat good food. Basically, that's the programme with a sex addict. Have sex, masturbate, however you're having sex, only when you're horny, yeah? So you've got to recognise what your libido is, and most sex addicts have no idea what it is. In the same way as most chronic overeaters have no idea what hunger feels like. They haven't felt it for years. So only have sex when you're horny and have healthy sex and healthy sex in part is obviously going to be individual so at least with food we have some guidelines five bits of fruit and veg and blah 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 blah. not too much fat too much sugar we can't have you know strict guidelines about people's sexuality because it, it usually depends on another human being so but only have sex when you're horny and have it in a way that makes you feel good about yourself that's respectful to yourself respectful to other people that's enjoyable and life affirming rather than life you you have you have said the exact same thing you're going to say to any addict you need to Absolutely. recognize the trigger that makes you want to use you yep. need to get reconnected with your body yep. you need to find a healthy alternative like this is not some private pocket and because we've put the word sex on it we want to stuff it in a dark closet Absolutely. be like don't go in there that's one of the bad ones it's just another one. Yeah, it's just it's just another addiction. What's at the root of this? What are you running away from? What are you numbing out? What are you escaping from? Is this about avoiding intimacy? Is this about avoiding your fear of failure, whether that's at school or at work? Is it fear of rejection? Is it you know recovering from some trauma wound in childhood? Get to the root, sort that out, and practical relapse prevention. And practical relapse prevention includes recognizing your libido and learning what healthy sexuality means to you. I think one of the really sad things about sex and porn addiction is it is robbing people of their sex lives. One of the things I love when I do group work programs is actually sitting with a group of guys, particularly as a woman, and saying, I'm going to make your sex life better than it's ever been before. I got I'm going to make it so you <laughs> love sex. Rather than this being a burden that you've carried around, something you despise about yourself, wow. I'm going to make you love sex again. Right. That's what it's about. Before we give everybody your contact information, <laughs> the name of your books and everything, I got to I gotta get you to say, because you're the expert here, to the, to the moms and dads listening, are you sure nine times a day is not a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it means he or she is fit and healthy as long as there's the rest of life going on. Okay. They come out of the bathroom, they go out and play basketball. Yeah, is, is having 10 bits of fruit a day a problem? No, not if you've got the rest of your life and it's all going well. Hey, enjoy your fruit. 
But if it's getting in the way of other stuff, that's when it's All right, Paula, how, how are people going to work with you? How are they going to find your clinic? To give them all the information. Then I want to talk about your books. Okay, so uh, the laurelcenter.co.uk. We do a lot of um, individual services via uh, video conferencing. Uh, and we do face-to-face -face services um, around the UK. I've also got outreach programs in Dubai and Copenhagen, Amsterdam, and Johannesburg. So uh, we're spreading around the world. That's fantastic. Online support groups for families. Families of sex addicts? Uh, partners of sex addicts, yeah. yeah, Partners of, absolutely. We do okay. lots of partner support programs too. Because yeah. I've worked with a lot of moms who know their husbands are dealing with absolutely. issues and it's affecting the yeah, kid yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay, the books. One that you talked about is understanding and treating uh, sex and pornography addiction. You said you had two more. Name them, please. Yeah, so there's the partner's perspective so, and also sex addiction, a guide for couples. So that's that's kind of the trilogy now. All on Amazon. All on Amazon. And Am all on ebooks as well. Well. Ebooks as well. Yep. Paula Hall, thank you very much for being on thank Beyond Worse and Back. I appreciate this uh, and really not just classy, but very um, relaxed way that you talk about this. That's it was it was very welcoming. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, parents, we'll talk again. This podcast was sponsored by the International Conference of Addiction and Associated Disorders, and always supported by Mental Health News Radio and brought to you by Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center. Thanks so much for listening. Parents, remember, you take care of yourselves first, you take care of your adult relationships second, and you take care of your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. All my love to Kristen Walker, the boss goddess at Mental Health News Radio Network. Please check out all of our shows at Mental Health News Radio Network at mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com. You can find me on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all the social media platforms. You can email me at Aaron at FireMountainPrograms.com. If you have any questions about your child and need of treatment, please contact Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center at 303-443-3343, extension 204. The assessment and that phone call is free. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you, parents, for making Beyond Risk and Back the number one parenting podcast in Colorado. We'll see you next week.